If you have your Bibles, you can open them to the book of Mark chapter 1. Mark chapter 1. We're in a series called Aftermath, where we've been talking about how to build our lives in the aftermath of 2020. And we've been giving you a different vision question each week that'll kind of help you determine the calling that God might have on your life. And so today, as we talk about this concept of calling, we're going to look at Mark 1, verses 35 through 39. Mark says, very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went out, went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Simon and his companions went to look for him, and when they found him, they exclaimed, everyone is looking for you. And Jesus replied, let us go somewhere else to the nearby villages so that I can preach there also. That is why I have come. So he traveled throughout Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and driving out demons. The word of the Lord. One of the texts of scripture that is most uh, regularly convicting to me is the story in the book of Luke of Mary and Martha. I don't know if you've heard the story. Quick recap, Jesus enters into the town of these two women, sisters, Mary and Martha, and Martha meets him there and invites him to come and stay at her house. Uh, This was an act of hospitality to welcome this itinerant preacher, and Jesus says yes. And so Martha immediately starts getting busy about the work that it takes to host someone of that stature. Martha is most likely preparing the meals and cleaning the place and opening up the doors and inviting the city. All of the things it takes to host something that big and she's stressed, she's busy, she's flustered and Martha's growing increasingly irritated because her sister Mary is nowhere to be found. She's not helping, she's not busy. In fact, Mary's just acting like one of the guests. She's sitting at the feet of Jesus listening to his every word. And finally, Martha gets to this boiling point and she looks at Jesus, interrupts his lesson or whatever he was doing and says, teacher, don't you care that my sister's not helping? Tell her to come and help me do this important, busy work. Jesus responds to Martha in Luke chapter 10, verse 41. He says this, Martha, Martha, You are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed, indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. (sighs) The Mary and Martha story teaches us something about ourselves. One of the reasons that we probably feel convicted when we read this story is we, many of us see ourselves in this story. We are so busy, and yet it's easy to let the most important things in life kind of float out of our mind. Now, the truth is, for many of us, our busyness is the greatest enemy to our calling. The greatest enemy to our calling. There was a a researcher, sociologist named Tim Kreider a number of years back who who took uh, to heart a study around why American people feel the need to be so busy all the time. 
He, he noticed that in our culture, people are just going, going, going. And so the question Kreider brought to our society is, why is everyone so busy? Why do we need to stay so insanely, crazily occupied with tasks all the time? And Kreider's research taught him a number of things. One thing that it taught him was that we love as people to feel important. And when people look at us as busy people, we imagine that they look at us as important people. Kreider found also that one of the reasons that we stay busy is because we're trying to convince ourselves that we are important people. The last thing Kreider found that people want to be is ordinary. And so we stay busy to try to convince ourselves that we are extraordinary humans that are actually making an impact on the world in which God has placed us. The truth is that this busyness that most of us have experienced from one time or another, this busyness is the greatest enemy to the calling that God has actually given us. And I love how Kelly kind of framed it for us in her talk a, a few minutes ago that Many of us don't know what our calling is, but we know that we're called to follow Jesus, right? That's the primary calling God has given us on this earth, is to be his children. We know we're called to be members of his family. We know we're called to be citizens of his kingdom. In fact, this whole series, we've been talking about the different various things that God has called us to be about as we live life on this planet. And if you're like me, Chances are that so often the busyness that you have in this world are not related at all, is not related at all to the things that we would say that we are primarily called to do or be about. We, we forget about the Lord. We forget about our calling. We forget about why he's placed us on this earth and we're just, we're just busy people. Jesus had this way of, of not being like that. And that's one of the reasons uh, that we're studying Mark chapter one today is to look at a glimpse at Jesus on one of the busiest days imaginable and the way that he was able to stay so centered with the calling the father had placed on his life. In Mark chapter one, this passage that we read as we started has a context where Jesus is in another city like Mary and Martha's city and there are crowds of people coming to the place where he's staying because they need him. They need healing. They need a touch. They need a word. They need his prayers. They need his presence. People are pressing in on Jesus late into the night because they desperately need the savior. And yet Jesus, after going to bed, after a late night of crazy, busy ministry, decides, you know what? I need to get out of this context. I need to go spend some time with the Father. And so very early in the morning, while it's still dark, he gets up, he leaves the house, he goes off to a solitary place, and he spends time with the Lord and connects with God's calling on his life. And we're going to study this text today and learn how we can be a bit more like Jesus, or at the very least, go and meet Jesus in the way that he met the Father. You know, I want to start with verse 38 here, because I feel like this is one of the most powerful things that Jesus ever says in the Gospels. He looks straight at the disciples, and he says a simple phrase. He says, let's go somewhere else. Let's go somewhere else. Right, remember the context, all these people coming, pressing on him, needing healing, needing help, needing Jesus, and he's able to look at his disciples and say, you know what, we're not gonna go back to all those people who need me, we're gonna go somewhere else. He says, to the nearby cities, so that I may preach there also, for that is why I was sent. 
Well, we see this core truth about Jesus, that Jesus was driven by a sense of calling. He was driven by it. Everything in his life was driven by the calling the Father had placed upon him. There's this concept in theological circles called messianic awareness, which kind of seeks to answer the Watergate question of what did Jesus know about who he was and when did he know it? Because we, we have this sense as we read the gospels that Jesus somehow grew into his understanding of what God's calling on his life truly was. Right, you might read other accounts about Jesus that are not true, not in the Bible, things like the Gnostic Gospels, the Gospel of Thomas, and you read these stories in these fake accounts of a baby Jesus who is more like baby Yoda than the Jesus we read about in the Bible. It's this baby who's raising the dead, this baby who's turning rocks into birds, doing a ton of crazy things, and when we read those stories, we think that, that's not the Jesus of the Bible. The Jesus of the Bible grew and developed his understanding of God's plan and its timing. We see Jesus grows in wisdom and stature. We see Jesus searches the scriptures to find things about himself. We see that Jesus says, I had to be in my father's house. I had to be in community with God and his people in the temple. That was part of his life. We see Jesus had this understanding that he was the Messiah and yet would wrestle with the timing of bringing forth that calling. He told his mother in John chapter two, woman, why do you involve me? My time has not yet come. He he wrestled with what he was supposed to be about and when he was supposed to be about it. You see, as you follow Jesus through the gospel accounts that he, he was kind of changing his vantage point along the way. He, he starts out in the wilderness. Then God puts his stamp of approval on him. And then he moves into this season of itinerant ministry. He's going like in Mark chapter one, from city to city, raising awareness of who he is. And yet at one point, his vision, his calling specifically starts to change. He sets his face towards Jerusalem and he makes the crucifixion his primary aim in life. He steadfastly walks forward in the calling God has placed on him. He was absolutely driven by a sense of calling. The disciples in this text and in many texts, on the other hand, we're not driven by a sense of calling, especially in the book of Mark. In the book of Mark, we, we see this story of the disciples always like two steps behind Jesus, right? Even here in Mark chapter one, they're looking for him, they're frantic, they're busy, they're worried. Jesus is like calmly praying, wrestling with God, and they're spinning around like tops, having no idea where Jesus is, what he's doing, or what his plan is in the world at that moment. And so I want to ask the question as we start to encounter this text, who are you in this text really? So often we read texts like this and we think, okay, I need to be more like Jesus. And yet I think it's rare that we read the text and think, you know what? I think I'm actually the disciples. I think I have no idea what Jesus is doing. I think he always feels like he's two steps ahead of me. I feel like I'm always wondering what he's trying to do and I feel like I'm always casting, catching my breath, trying to keep up with him and I keep getting caught up in all of these other things. When Jesus was driven by a sense of calling, the disciples were not. And so what we learn about Jesus and how he connects with that calling, we also see in this text is that Jesus stays connected to his calling by staying connected to the Father. Jesus also had a regular iteration of connecting with the Father over and over and over again. We see that here in this text. 
in verse 35 when it says, very early in the morning while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. And nobody really knows what Jesus was doing in that prayer time. The text doesn't tell us. There's a lot of speculation, right? Is he wrestling because he's busy about good things, but senses that God might be calling him to do other things, maybe? Is he just having a normal devotion because he was the Messiah and that's what the Messiah did, maybe? Was he praying for the people that he healed the night before that they would come to their senses? Was he praying about the next town that God was sending him to? We don't know. But what we do know is that this was not a one-time thing. And Jesus had a regular rhythm of going off and connecting to the Father. Right, in Luke chapter 6, or chapter 5, verse 16, Luke kind of gives us a summary straight statement of Jesus' pattern here, where Luke tells us that Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. We see that here in Mark, where three different times Jesus markedly leaves ministry, connects with the Father, and then re-engages with the disciples once again. Here at the beginning of his ministry in Mark chapter one, Jesus leaves the house, goes off into the wilderness, prays to the Father, and then gives the vision to the disciples. Later on in Mark chapter six, after feeding the 5,000, Jesus does it again. He sends the disciples across the Sea of Galilee and he goes up onto a mountain this time. He goes in the night again. He prays to the Father and then he reemerges walking on water and shows the disciples a glimpse of his glory. At the end of the book of Mark, at the end of his earthly ministry, in Mark chapter 14, Jesus does it again. After the Last Supper, Jesus withdraws into the Garden of Gethsemane. He brings his disciples with him, and then he goes a stone's throw away from his disciples, and there he prays. He lays out before the Father. We get a glimpse into that prayer. He's saying, Father, if you're willing, take this cup from me, the crucifixion cup of suffering, away from me, but not my will, but your will be done. And in that moment, Jesus connects with the Father in the darkness for a third time in a garden, And then he gives the disciples a glimpse of the sovereign plan of God. Jesus has this rhythm of staying connected with his calling by staying connected to the Father. And yet before we take some time to talk a little bit about how we can do better at that, I feel like we need to take a little bit of time and marvel at the beauty of Jesus We are not Jesus in this story, right? I'm gonna say that a lot of times, right? We we are the disciples in this story. Jesus, he worked so hard, excruciatingly hard to stay connected with his calling, which was not a fluffy calling. It was not a fun calling. His calling, he said, was to seek and save that which was lost, right? He sets his face on Jerusalem. He goes to death on a Roman cross. He wrestles with the Father and then goes for his calling, which is to give up his life so that we might have life so that we might experience forgiveness of sins, so that we might have relationship with the Father, access to the Father himself. In fact, none of us could even have a prayer time like Jesus had with access to the Father directly unless Jesus had not fulfilled his calling first. He worked, he labored, he got up in the middle of the night while it was still dark. You sense the humanity of Jesus getting up, leaving the house, going out into the wilderness, the lonely places to wrestle with the Father and stay dead set on the calling the Father had given him to go to the cross for us. This is the calling that drove him 
So we are not Jesus in the passage, right? We are the disciples in the passage. The disciples in this passage and the disciples in every passage where Jesus has a prayer time are lamentably stupid. I feel like that's the only way to describe it, right? The disciples we see here in Mark chapter one are desperately looking for Jesus. It says in verse 36 that Simon and his companions went to look for him. The Greek phrase there means to hunt Jesus down, right? A lot of theologians believe that Simon Peter helped Mark write the gospel of Mark. And so this is a glimpse into Peter's heart in this moment. He was desperate for Jesus. He was terrified because he couldn't find him. He was angry at Jesus for going missing. He was probably rolling his eyes and thinking, why does Jesus keep disappearing at the most important times? And so he angrily goes to hunt down Jesus and he tries to chastise Jesus. He says, everyone's looking for you. Jesus had other plans. Mark chapter six, after the feeding of the 5,000, same thing happens. Jesus is up on the mountain. The disciples are rowing in a boat in a storm. Jesus comes and walks on water, displays his glory to his disciples, and instead of worshiping him, they stare at him and scream, it's a ghost. Again, a couple of steps behind Jesus. So Jesus has to come alongside and say, guys, it's not me, it's a ghost. Or it's not a ghost, it's me, and they worship him. The Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus invites them into his solitude time. He says, I'm going to go here and pray. Please keep watch while I pray. Please serve me in this moment. This is the hardest moment of my life, and I need you disciples in this moment to come to the Father on my behalf while I wrestle with the Father for you and for the sins of the world. And while Jesus prayed, the disciples were sleeping. He wakes them up. He says, you couldn't even keep watch for an hour? Please, please pray for me. He goes back to it and they fall asleep again over and over. Even when Jesus invites them into growing their sense of what God was calling him to do, they're always behind. They're always frantic. They're always doing the wrong thing. It means a little bit of hope for our lives, right? If that's your experience, you're not alone, right? If you're having a hard time staying connected with God's calling on your life, it's normal, but it's tragic. Because God has given us an amazing calling to be his children, to live in community, to make disciples, to bring forth his kingdom. He's given you a specific calling, some of you to do something amazing in this world, and yet you know that so often you feel like you're sleeping, you're frantic, you're missing it, you're angry, you're bitter, you're tired, and you're doing everything but connecting with the calling that God has placed on your life. Do you ever feel like you're wasting your life? You ever get to the point where you just wake up one morning and think, it's been weeks since I connected with the Lord. It's been months, some of us. It's been years since I really engaged with what I know God has called me to be about in this universe. I have a limited amount of time on this planet and I'm squandering it with so many things that are so (sighs) temporary. Where if God has called me to be busy, he's been calling me to be busy about building his kingdom, his glory, bringing his grace to the next generation. Again, if that's you, you're not alone. (laughs) That's the disciples in this passage and over and over again in the gospel accounts, they're always behind Jesus. 
And I feel like a, a portion of God's grace that he gives to us and he gives to the disciples can be found in this text in that the disciples have no idea what they're doing, right? We can agree on that. In the book of Mark chapter one, no idea what they're doing. In fact, they're doing some of the wrong things by hunting down Jesus. But even while they're doing the wrong things, they're accidentally following in Jesus' footsteps. You ever notice that? Right? Jesus wakes up early, leaves the house, goes to a solitary place, prays and receives wisdom from the Father. Right? The disciples wake up later, they look around, Jesus is nowhere to be found, and they inadvertently go through the same motions that Jesus did. They get up, they leave the house, they wander a little bit more, but eventually they go down the same path to the same place and encounter God in the same location that Jesus did. Instead of connecting with the Father, they're connecting with the Son face to face, but in the same lonely place where Jesus reconnected with his Father, they stand before Jesus, the God of the universe, and in one sentence get recalibrated in their own calling in life. Jesus looks at the disciples and he says, let's go somewhere else to the nearby cities so that I can preach there also for that's why I was sent. And with one sentence from Jesus, even though they did not expect it, they weren't going there to have an amazing solitude time, they received the same thing Jesus did, clarity and direction on their calling to walk with Jesus and go to the next place. You know, as I look at this text, I don't think the moral is be more like Jesus. I think the teaching from this text is that if you have lost track of your calling, Jesus can get you back on track. The, the disciples didn't do it on purpose, but man, they encountered Jesus and boom, they were back on track. We need to be people who connect with Jesus and allow him to put us back on the pathway that many of us find ourselves straying from. You know, today, we have an opportunity to receive communion together and a little bit after the sermon time. And communion is an amazing ritual in the best sense of the term that Christ has given to us because what communion does is what Pastor Tim Keller calls a covenant renewal ceremony. It reminds us and renews us of the covenant that we have with God. So if today you're feeling like, man, I'm wandering, I'm all over the place, God is the last thing on my mind, good news, if you're a believer, receive communion with us and in communion you will be recalibrated, you'll hear your calling again, you'll be reminded of the most important moment in human history, the death and suffering of Jesus for the remission of sins, and you'll be reminded of the resurrection that Christ gives life, he's given you life, and he gives life to all who believes. And if you've lost track of your calling, even today, Jesus can get you back on the right track, even today. Yeah, you know, I, I know that Jesus is in the Gospels and in our lives often a few steps ahead of us, and yet I'm, I'm comforted as I read this text that Jesus will often be a few steps ahead of us, and yet the beautiful thing, and yet the irony in that is that we have to slow down if we want to catch up. That's one of the things that we learn about life from the disciples and life from all of the scriptures is that in order to catch up to Jesus, sometimes we gotta slow down to do it. You know, I know, just a little glimpse into my life, my mind is always spinning, I'm always going, even when I'm preaching. Like my biggest temptation in this moment right now is to start talking a mile a minute because there are good things I feel like God wants to share with you and I am constantly saying, slow down, <laughs> relax. Because for me, even when I'm preaching the Bible, I get to a point that I'm talking so fast, that 
I could likely not even know what I'm saying, right? I get outstep the spirit, so I have to slow down so that I can catch up to Jesus. You know, we read the story of Mary and Martha, and a lot of times it feels like the, the moral of that story we told earlier is that we need to be less like Martha and more like Mary, and that's true, but the hard thing is, if you feel that way, chances are God has designed you not to be Mary, but he's designed you to be like Martha, to be Martha, right? Martha is not the villain in the story. Martha is the reason Jesus is in the house to begin with, right? Without Martha's, no one invites the person. Without Martha's, there's no food, right? Without Martha's, there's no hospitality. God is not calling you to be a different person. And yet Jesus looks at Martha and he, the challenge he does give her is he says, Martha, Martha, you are busy with so many things. Because Mary's chosen what's better. Slow down, and catch up to me. And one of the things we've been giving in this series every week is a vision question that can kind of equip us to think about these issues in our lives more broadly. And, and so here's the question, you can write this down, that I want to give you this week in connection with this thing, is how can you stay connected with God's calling on your life? Right? Is there a rhythm you need to create? Is there an activity you need to do? Is there something that you need to partake in that will allow you to get out of the mist, the fog, the, the darkness of your life and back into the light that God has called you to, back into the mission he set before you? I encountered a great poem by Amanda Gorman this week I wanna, I wanna share with you because I feel like all of her writings that I've read really encapsulate this longing that each of us have to step out of the darkness and haze and into a better reality on the other side. This is what Gorman says about darkness and light. There's learning to be done in the dark. Like seeds shaded by dirt, we twitch with the want to rise. When we grow tired of shadows, we climb into a world that is finally making room for light. If you're growing tired of the shadows, the darkness you're living in, if there's something in you that twitches with the want to rise, rise like Jesus did, rise like the disciples inadvertently did, and find time to connect with the Father and let him reveal his plan to you. You know, a couple things that you can do to kind of put some action on this concept. Number one, go into solitude to find Jesus. This is what the disciples did on accident. We can do it on purpose. Go into solitude. Go into loneliness. Go into the wilderness to find Jesus. Go on the mountain. Go in the garden. Go to the lonely places and encounter Jesus in that place. Because so often, just a moment with Jesus in the solitude reawakens us to what he has for us. You know, I love that just a sentence gets these guys back on track. Sometimes it's just a 10-minute quiet time in the morning allows us to get back on track. Sometimes our minds spin so much, we gotta go take a walk and get back on track. Sometimes that's not enough. Right? One of the things that I've tried to become passionate about these last several years is taking intentional time and getting away from the busyness of life to connect with the Lord in the lonely places in a different scenario. The last three or four years, I've been fortunate to get away just for three or four days and just spend time with the Lord, read, pray, walk, reflect, and ask God those fundamental questions of life. God, what have you called me to be about? God, help me to understand what's wrong with me. How can I stay connected with you? And God always meets me in the practice of solitude. Now, this year, the challenge that 
I've set forth for myself. And even when I came home from solitude a couple months ago, my wife said, man, you should do this every month. And I didn't realize until I said this at nine o'clock that maybe she's just trying to get rid of me. I don't know. But it's a beautiful gift that she and God are giving me to say, maybe once a month, I need to step out of my normal rhythm, stay out of town or away from the house, away from ministry and family and the busyness of good things in life and reconnect with the Father. Because like all of us, I'm so prone to wander off into so many busy things and lose track of what God has truly called me to be about. And so I go into solitude to find Jesus. And the last thing that I, that I feel like we could provide in our own lives to connect with this calling is that most of us, many of us, some of us, me, we need to slow down our pace to keep in pace with him. There's a famous story about a theologian named Dallas Willard, who is a great author, writer. If you've never read Willard, you should. Willard was famous for having a beautiful relationship with the Lord. And at one point, somebody came to Dallas Willard and said, Dallas, what's the secret? What's the one thing that I can do to help me connect with the Lord in deeper ways to unlock God's will in my life? And Dallas Willard looked back at this man and said, here's what you need to do. You must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. I imagine the guy like writing it down like, oh, this is good, this is good. Hey, what else, right? Well, I got you, what else? Give me one more thing. He's like, okay, okay, here's the second thing. You must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. This became the mantra of Willard's existence. There's a book by John Mark Comer that came out a couple years ago called The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. Because so many people who found depth in their relationship with Jesus have learned that we gotta slow down (laughs) to catch up with him. We've been doing, as a church, a monthly fasting day. And last month on our fasting day on Tuesday, and I I was hungry. And I wasn't hungry because I hadn't eaten all day. I was hungry before I normally eat breakfast. This is what happens to me on fasting days. At like 7 a.m., I start feeling like I'm gonna die if I don't eat. And I start getting a little bit frantic and hurried and consumed with the fact that I'm not gonna eat any food until dinner, right? And so last month, I took a deep breath and said, okay, I'm going to last. I'm going to do this. How am I going to do this? And I just got the sense that I think what I need to do today is kind of slow down my speed, right? Like all of my, my, how fast I walk, how fast I think, how fast I talk, how fast I go from thing to thing, how much I think I can accomplish. I need to slow down, right? I imagine myself like I'm driving a boat, but I'm running out of gas. So I got to slow down because I got to run out of the reserves that I do have. I'm going to slow down and I'm going to hope that I can survive all day. And yet what I learned on that day was a beautiful lesson that, first of all, I didn't even feel hungry, which is rare. That's a gift from God. That doesn't always happen on fasting days. But I realized that, man, my day was actually very, very productive, which I did not expect, because I had to slow down and connect with people at a deeper level than I normally would. I had to slow down and think about emails before I responded to them. I had to slow down and think, what am I going to do next, and is it worth it, right? Because I have limited energy reserves, and so I slowed down. And by slowing down, I accidentally caught up to Jesus, I love a quote from Soren Kierkegaard. He says, life, uh, let me read it to you. He says this, life can only be understood backwards, but it must be lived forwards. And I think in the practice of slowing down, we kind of learn the secret of how to live reflectively while still moving forward on the journey God has before us 
in life. Well, I don't know where you sit today. I, I don't know how this relates to all of you. You might be perfect at this. This might be a struggle for you. But either way, what we're going to do now is something that will help all of us in this endeavor. And we're going to receive communion together. If you've got elements at home prepared, great. If not, go and grab some bread and grab some juice or wine and come on back. We're going to sing a song before we do that, so you've got a little bit of time. But let's let this time of communion be a time where we can reconnect with God and his mission and purpose for us as people and his mission and purpose for the entire universe. So grab a cup, grab some bread, and reflect even as we sing. Hold these elements and think about the truth of what you believe and why it's so important and pray that God uses this moment to change your life in a beautiful way. Let's receive communion together. We're gonna sing a song first and then I'll come back and I'll lead us in communion.